say to me, yes, and the follow-up is, again, so why? What is the basis of your answer to that question? Super important. Super important. The basis of our answer to that question about whether or not we're living in the assurance of our salvation is God's Word. Some of us here today may be living with a false sense of assurance. Or maybe you have uh, a false sense of non-assurance. Or you think that someone's living with security and thought someone's living with a false insecurity. Some of us may have distorted expectations that name the expectation. What is the basis of your answer to that question? Super important. Today we come to our passage in Matthew 21. Grab your Bibles, open up with me. Matthew 21, verses 18 through 22. Uh, by way of reminder, we're still actually in the beginning of Holy Week. We're long past Holy Week. It's past Easter. It's May. Right? We're talking about Mother's Day now. Well, yeah, I understand that, but I'm talking about in Matthew. Right? We went through, uh, went through that passage in Palm Sunday, and then eventually into the city of Jerusalem. But we've got to understand where we are in the book of Matthew. We're still in the beginning of Holy Week. Jesus has entered the city. He's entered the, he's entered the temple. He's on his way to the cross. Along the way, he is ministering as a prophet. He is God's prophet. He is the one who represents God and speaks on God's behalf. And in this passage with you today, he is both pronouncing judgment, and he's also promising salvation. In keeping with the prophetic tradition. It's my hope today that each of us will stand on the basis and also walk in path of God's blessing. Anyone else interested in that today? That's it. Let's go to the Word together. Listen to what Matthew records in chapter 21, verses 18 through 22. Matthew 21, 18 through 22. Hear these words. In the morning, as he was returning to the city, he became hungry. And seeing a fig tree by the wayside, he went up to it and found nothing on it but only leaves. And he said to it, May no fruit ever come from you again. And the fig tree withered from him. And the disciples sought a marvel, saying, How did the fig tree wither at once? Jesus answered them, Truly I say to you, you have faith. Do not doubt. You will not only do what has been done to the fig tree, but even if you say to this mountain, be taken up and thrown into the sea, it will happen. And whatever you ask in prayer, you will receive if you have faith. This is the word of the Lord. And all God's people said, Amen. Let's pray together. Father, we come to you and we ask that your spirit will work in our hearts. Reveal to us the truth of your word. Speak to us. Give us basis for assurance and expectation. Your blessing. I pray that you would draw people to yourself today. Give us the ability to concentrate 
and to consider these things in a way that leads to change, in a way that honors you and glorifies your name. We pray this in Christ's name. Everyone said, Amen. Guys, Jesus is hungry. Right? Some of you are hungry right now. But Jesus is hungry in this passage. Right? And, and even in that statement, we come to uh, face-to-face with the reality of his humanity. Right? Even as we've talked about him as the Lord, God himself, right? the Savior, the promised King, the prophet. And he is all those things. We're reminded in this moment that Jesus is also human. Right? He has become like us in every way, yet without sin. Right? And so here Jesus is. He's gotten up early in the morning, most likely drawing to the temple for the hour of prayer. It's, it's early. Maybe, maybe they got up and said, let's just head to the temple. And along the way, he got hungry. Right? And he uh, found uh, a fig tree. The text tells us in the morning as he was returning to the city, he became hungry. He sees a fig tree by the wayside, and he went to it. He went to it with the expectation of receiving figs, of there being fruit on it. But the text tells us that he does not find any fruit on it. Because he found nothing on it, but only leaves. And he said to it, may no fruit ever come from you again. And the fig tree withered at once. What a bizarre thing taking place. What is going on here? Is Jesus having a temper tantrum? In our family, we may ask this kind of question. Are you hangry? Is Jesus hangry? Right? I won't name my children. They might name one of their parents or both. But there are certain times where you will see it on their face. There's one of my children that, uh, that will come down from sleeping, and it's like the first feeling of the day is hangry. Right? They're frustrated and mad because they have not eaten yet. We wonder, is Jesus hangry? Is this some kind of temper tantrum? How unkind to the tree is Jesus? Guys, that is not what's happening here. Jesus is not hangry. He may be hungry, but he's not hangry. He's not throwing a temper tantrum. He's not lost his cool. Uh, As we see in the previous passage, we see in his righteousness, in his holiness, in his, 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 uh, in his self-control, he is acting in a way that is anything but that. No, what we see taking place here is symbolic action. He's enacting a parable, you would say. His interaction with this tree uh, is, is basically painting a picture for us about the, the, um, what, he is, what he is seeing in reference to the nation of Israel, what he's seeing in reference to the temple, what he's seeing in reference to the religious leaders. And now he's enacting this parable to show us that this tree represents that. That Remember, if you look back at what just took place in the temple, Jesus came to the temple, and what does he find? He finds them uh, stealing and and, and oppressing people. Right? It's a den of robbers. Right? My house shall be called the house of prayer. And so he finds uh, something that is uh, worthy of judgment. 
so he approaches this fig tree that has leaves on it. Now, you've got to understand that would give an expectation, right? If there's leaves on the tree, you have an expectation that there's also going to be figs. Now, we understand that Mark's account says it wasn't fig season. That's true. But understand this, that, uh, well, in saying that it wasn't harvest, right? They weren't harvesting the figs. But if they're leaves, there would be these small, immature, undeveloped figs on the tree, right? And so in seeing the leaves, Jesus came to it with the expectation that there would be these small, undeveloped, immature figs that were still edible. And it wasn't uncommon for them to eat those in that time. And so as Jesus approaches this fig tree, that's what he's, what he's seeing. He's seeing leaves, the, 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 the presumption of fruit, the promise of fruit, but then in actuality, there is nothing there. It is barren. It's a symbolic prophetic action of God's judgment when he curses it on a barren people in their barren worship, in their barren temple. That's what we see taking place here. This idea of the barren fig tree was, was also mentioned in the Old Testament prophets. Jeremiah 8.13 said, When I would gather them, declares the Lord, there are no grapes on the vine, nor figs on the fig tree. Even the leaves are withered, and what I gave them has passed away from them. Micah 7, verses 1 and 2 says this, Woe is me, for I become as when the summer fruit has been gathered, as when the grapes have been gleaned, there is no cluster to eat, no first ripe fig that my soul desires. So the absence of the fruit was a sign of and also a basis for God's judgment on his people. So here he's come. He's come to Jerusalem. He's come to the temple. What has he found? He's found the appearance of piety and devotion. He sees all the right activities taking place. And yet it was an outward show. It was fake. There was no true fruit to be found. It gave the pretense and the promise of fruit. But on closer examination, there was no fruit at all. There is no righteousness. There's no faith. This is classic hypocrisy. The promise of fruit. The pretense. But in all actuality, it just wasn't there. Thus, they became subject to God's judgment on the basis of them being fruitless and faithless. That's what we see taking place here. And so as he curses it, it's symbolic, it's prophetic, and it is an action of judgment on all those who are fruitless and faithless before him. Jesus confronts hypocrisy. That's what he does. And so for us, it becomes a warning. Those who listen in and, and the disciples in this moment as they're witnessing this, it's a warning. Christ does pronounce judgment on those who live in a fruitless hypocrisy. Now, I think we should be clear. Hypocrisy is not sinning, nor is it struggling with sin. I think that's really important. 
Just because we sin, and just because we're struggling with sin, does not make us a hypocrite. That's extremely important. We understand, and and, and we do this each and every week, we come humbly confessing our sin to the Lord each and every week in our worship service. We should do this regularly in our private devotion. We confess our sins to the Lord. We humbly admit, yeah, we have sinned. We are struggling, Lord. We are in constant need of your grace to battle this sin in our lives. Just sinning and struggling with sin. That's not hypocrisy. So if you're here today and you sin or you're struggling with sin, that does not make you a hypocrite. just want to be clear on that. Hypocrisy is living in a way that projects piety, that projects devotion. And yet when it examines, when it is examined, it is found to be false. It says, fruit's here. Fruit is here. And in the end, there is none. Lincoln Duncan says this is not just the case for these religious leaders in the temple system. In many ways, this is something that we need to consider in our own lives. He says, there is a danger of false religion in all of us. And this passage reminds us that Christ judges and will judge religious hypocrisy. Let me ask this question. Is your life misleading? Is your life misleading? Are you portraying, projecting a piety to yourself and to the world? And yet, in your heart of hearts, there's a hypocrisy. It's fake. Is your confidence in some external religious rituals that you check off week in and week out? And as long as everybody else out there thinks that you're pious, or thinks that you're devoted, or thinks that you're following Jesus, that's enough for you. Is your hope simply to project godliness so that others affirm your spirituality? Is your life just leaves? It's an important question for us to think about. If we understand anything about the nature of God, if we understand anything about His saving work and what He intends to do in and through His people, it's so much more than just putting on an air of piety and holiness. God wants to do a real work internally in us. Amen? God wants to produce something in us and also produce something through us. God wants something real to occur and it to bear the real fruit that He desires in our lives. Amen? That's what God desires. And so in this prophetic act, Jesus is pronouncing judgment on fruitless, faithless hypocrisy. And he's pointing out our need for God to do something much more powerful and real in the deepest part of who we are. He desires so much more 
in us. He desires so much more through us. Amen? So beware. Beware of living that just leads. Beware of hypocrisy. Beware because Christ pronounces judgment on all those who live in such hypocrisy. And so Jesus curses the tree. And the disciples see it. The disciples see it. They want to know how in the world did this happen? How in the world did this happen? So they say in verse 20, when the disciples saw it, they marveled. Well, yeah, of course, right? Of course they marveled. What do they They wonder what? How did the fig tree wither at once? How in the world did this happen at once? Just withers up. But Jesus isn't necessarily concerned with dealing directly with their question. As he's pronouncing his judgment, he wants to point them to the path of blessing. And I think this is the wonderful news that we have here today in the contrast. Is that even as he's pronouncing judgment, he wants to teach his disciples. He wants to teach us and point us down the path to blessing. He wants us to be blessed. On two occasions, Jesus says this, if you have faith, whenever something is repeated in a particular passage, that clues us in on the emphasis, on the focus of the passage. On two occasions in this passage, Jesus says, if you have faith. He says it right in the beginning of verse 21. Truly, I say to you, if you have faith. And at the end of verse 22, He says, in talking about prayer, he says, if you have faith. Jesus wants to teach us about the path of blessing. Jesus wants to teach us about faith. Those things are connected. In many ways, this gives us further insight into what Jesus did not find on the fig tree. He didn't find faith didn't find faith. It was all a show. But here he calls his disciples to something different. He calls us to the same. He calls all of us here to faith. If you have faith. But not faith in general. I want to be very careful about that. Jesus is not talking about a faith in general, like Macy's does during Christmas time, right? Believe. As if that's it. Believe. As long as you believe, you'll have blessing. As long as you believe in something, you'll have blessing. As long as you believe in anything, you just have to have faith in and of itself. We have to be very careful. That is not what Jesus is teaching here. Jesus is telling us about a specific kind of faith and a specific object that faith has. Very important. Because in many ways, the religious leaders and the people of Israel, they had faith. Right? Everybody has faith in something. You could say that 
the religious leaders, and all those who were entering into the temple, they had faith in something, right? At least faith in their external practices and the rituals and the sacrifices. Faith in their traditions. They had faith. Maybe faith in their works. Faith in their deeds. Faith in themselves. As the pathway to God's blessing. They had faith. So what does Jesus mean when he says, if you have faith on two occasions? Well, surely, as we understand all these impeachments, you must have faith in the God of the Bible. You must have faith in the God of the Bible who reveals himself in the person of Jesus Christ. To say it even more simply, you must have faith in Christ. Not just anything, but faith in Christ. If we understand anything about faith, that it's knowing something about Christ, it's believing something about Christ, and it's trusting in Christ, then what Jesus is saying here to his disciples and us, he's saying, if you know me, and you believe something true about me, and you trust in me, then you'll be blessed. Amen? That's what he's saying here. If you know me, you believe true things about me, if you trust in me, there's such blessing and such grace for you. Is that not what Paul tells us in Ephesians chapter 1? Blessed be the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, who has blessed us in Christ with every spiritual blessing in the heavenly places. Every blessing of God is in Christ. Amen? Ephesians 1. In Him. In Him. Is it 11 times in 14 verses? Paul is making it very clear. God's blessing is in Christ. You could say it this way. That Christ, received by faith, is the basis of God's blessing. That's it. That's what I want you to see this morning. If you have faith, if you have me, if you received me by faith, that's the basis of the blessing of my Father. It's in Him, church, that you find blessing. If you trust in Him, not anything else. And so Christ pronounces judgment on those who are faithless and fruitless, who live in hypocrisy, but He's promising blessing for those who have a genuine faith in Him. Those who trust in Him. It's not your works. It's not your merit. It's not your status in society. It's not your skin color. Right? It's not your nationality. It's not the success that you have or don't have. It's not your traditions. It's not your education. It is simply a genuine faith in Jesus Christ that is the basis of God's blessing in your life. That's it. J.C. Ryle says this, So long as a man is content with the mere leaves of religion, with a name to love while it, he is yet dead, in a form of godliness without the power so long his soul is in peril. 
fruit, fruit, the fruit of the Spirit is the only sure proof that we are savingly united to Christ and in the way to heaven. Amen? Right? We need Jesus. We need to trust in Jesus. Right? Know Him. Believe true things about Him. We need to trust in Him personally to live in God's blessing. Such comforting grace and hope does Jesus give to the one who trusts in Him. You say, what do you mean God's blessing? Well, look at what it says, right? Look at verses 21 and 22. He says, Jesus answered, If you have faith and do not doubt, you will not only do what has been done to the fig tree, but even if you say to this mountain, be taken up and thrown into the sea, it will happen. If you have faith in Christ, He promises that God will work in you and God will work through you in unimaginable ways. What is humanly impossible, God will do in and through us if we have faith in Christ. Amen? You think about all that's happened in and through the church in and through Christianity in the last 2,000 years. Let's be fair, though. Church history is a mixed bag. We need to be humble and honest about our very real sins, about our own hypocrisy in the life of the church. Awful, horrific, violent things have happened in church history, all in the name of Christ. Can we just humbly admit that? But that is not to negate the amazing things that God has done in and through His church, His people, over the last 2,000 years. I think we do need to be humble and honest about the atrocities in church history. But we also can see the Spirit of God at work, causing men, women, and children to do things that are humanly impossible, to be a part of such amazing works of grace in world history. When you think about poverty, and attacking poverty and, and bringing uh, um, repair to that. You, you're going to look and see Christians engaged in that task. You're going to see people who, who claim Christ to compassionately reach out to the poor. When you think about education and all that's taking place, in it, you're going to look and see that many of these things were built on and, and committed to Christ in history. When you think about hospitals... And healthcare, you're going to connect that oftentimes to Jesus and His work in and through His people. Even when we think about the atrocity of slavery that so many times that, that and you, you've ever seen 12 Years a Slave where the preacher is talking about uh, slavery and preaching and you're just getting angry at how ridiculous those passages are twisted and misconstrued. You also understand that it was Christ and the gospel that motivated a William Wilberforce to fight for the abolition of slavery, to bring it to an end, right? So please know this, that as, as difficult as it is to sometimes read about the atrocities of church history, understand that God by His Spirit has done an amazing work in and through His people. 
through the last 2,000 years. And, and you think about even just recent history, even history in this church, about the amazing things that God has done in and through each and every one of you to bring gospel hope and compassion and love to our community, to simply sit at a coffee shop and pray with someone who is struggling in their faith and to see them get victory over certain things in their lives. Guys, you can't do that in and of your own strength. That is God working in you and through you as you trust Him. Amen? Your trust in Christ, genuinely, Filled with the Spirit, powerfully. He's at work in you and through you. And He will do unimaginable things. Things that are humanly impossible through you, through us, as the people of God. That's what Christ promises us here. So we understand why William Carey would say, attempt great things for God and expect great things from God. Such purpose such inspiration, the promise of Christ's blessing on what we do as the people of God, bringing kingdom priorities in the world and in our lives. Let's do it, because Christ will bless it, amen, as we come to him and trust him. So it's my encouragement to you, you who may be struggling to find a place or purpose in the world, avail yourself to the king and his kingdom priorities. He promises to bless you in those things as you trust Him. But not only that, if you have faith in Christ, He promises that God will hear and answer your prayers. Did you hear that? If you come to Him in faith in Christ, He will hear and answer your prayers. And whatever you ask in prayer, you will receive if you have faith. Some of you need to hear that this morning. Whatever you ask in prayer, you will receive if you have faith. You know why you need to hear it? Two possible reasons. One, because human nature is to not pray. Human nature is to try to figure it all out on our own. Human nature is to exert our own effort and power and will to bring about blessing in our own lives. But it says if you ask in prayer, Whatever you're wrestling with today, it's time to start praying for those things. In faith, not doubting. Stop trying to figure it out all on your own. Stop trying to finagle things, Maisie. Stop trying to control all the variables, Maisie. And you may also need to hear that because you've been praying. And you've been hurting. And you've been struggling. And you're wondering, will God hear me? And will God answer my prayer? And what Jesus says here, if you, whatever you ask in prayer, you will receive if you have faith. You're going to receive it. You say, how am I going to get God's blessing? Just ask Him. That's it. You don't have to achieve it. You can't buy it. You don't earn it. You just ask Him. Lord, bless me. And you ask Him in faith. Such an invitation for us to pray in all that we face in this life, in all that seems insurmountable, in everything that seems impossible, in our fight against sin. And some of you are battling deep right now. The sins of your heart, the sins of your mind, the sins in your wallet. We're battling deep. 
with our desires and our motives. You need strength. You want victory. Pray. Pray in faith. Some of us are suffering circumstantial issues. The pressure of this world, this fallen world is, has come upon you. You're hurting from it. You're ailing from it. It's just so uh, all-encompassing. What does he say? He says, pray. Pray in faith. As we encounter conflict, what are we going to do about this relationship that we keep button heads? Are you praying in faith that God will bring peace? Saying, if you pray, I'm going to bless you. I'm going to answer that prayer. In our marriages, we struggle with finding joy and satisfaction in the midst of our marriages. What does he say? Don't take matters into your own hand. Pray. Pray. Call on me. I'll do what's impossible in your own mind. Pray. Pray in faith. And I'll bring it. And our children. Man. One thing I've watched my wife do over the years is, is pray through this book. Praying for your children. Right? I think she's got a 30-day one and a 365-day. She's got all those things. She prays, though, specifically in tears and hope and fear and anxiety. At the, Lord, please, prayer. Is God answering that prayer? He's answering that prayer. He hears it. Promises to bless us in our work, in our sorrows, in our loss, in our grief, in our need for wisdom and direction about major decisions. What are we going to do about this? I don't know what to do. Jesus says, pray. Call on the Father. Ask. Whatever you ask. If you ask in faith, you're going to receive it. But even as I talk about these circumstances and situations, let's be careful here because our prayer life can be so dominated by our demands and circumstances and needs. What about the priorities of the kingdom? What about the Lord's prayer? We're asking for the name of the Lord to be hallowed, to be revered as holy. We're asking for His will to be done, His kingdom to come, right? We're asking for people to get saved and to come to a knowledge of Jesus. We're praying for those things, right? We're praying for justice in our world, right? Not just Facebooking about justice, but crying out on our knees for God to bring justice to our world, right? We're praying in faith. We're praying on the basis of Christ, our knowledge of Him, our trust in Him. We're going to the Father through the Son, right? Because that's where blessing is. So ask in faith and hear Christ's promise and you will receive. Amen? Now I know what some of you are thinking. Father, please provide a Corvette. Please. I've been praying for years. Lord, bring my family to Scotland. All expenses paid. That prayer has not been answered. Okay? A little bitterness, a little, little struggle there. That prayer has not been answered. Here's the deal. Here's the point. A little funny, but it's not. God's not a slot machine to get what you want. 
He's not a vending machine. That's maybe what I mean to say. You put the prayer in, you get out what you want. That's not prayer. All of our prayers, right, in faith, are subject to God's sovereign rule and reign and His priorities and His will and His character and His goodness. He's going to hear and answer every prayer according to His sovereign purposes in our lives. And even that is an expression of our faith, right? Not gimme, God. Gimme. Your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. Lord, have you merciful to me. Right? We ask in faith. We ask trusting in his will. In his, in, in his purposes. It does not also mean. Because I think some of us, when we, when we come to this passage, say, oh, well, I'm asking for something that I would perceive that God wills and wants. It's not happening. It must be because I don't have enough faith. Right? This is not what this means. If you conjure up enough faith, if you get to a certain level of faith, a certain quantity of faith, then God will give it to you. Please do not hear that. This is not a verse that that implies that we're to conjure up a certain quantity of faith. You just need more faith. That's why God doesn't answer your prayers. No, our faith is not based on the level of sincerity that we have. But our faith and and assurance is based on the, the level of perfection of the object of our faith. And that is Jesus. Our assurance is in Jesus. Our faith is in Jesus. Not the level of our faith. So please don't hear that either. It does mean trust Jesus. Don't doubt Jesus. Ask the Father. Expect His blessing. That is wonderful gospel news. If you ask in faith, you will receive. We know this. Psalm 84 tells us, For the Lord God is a sun and a shield. The Lord bestows favor and honor. No good thing does He withhold from those who walk uprightly. Amen? That is good news. We know this from James. If any of you lack wisdom, let him ask God, who gives generously to all without reproach, and it will be given him. But let him ask in faith, with no doubting. Do not be deceived, my beloved brothers. Every good gift and every perfect gift is from above, coming down from the Father of lights, with whom there is no variation or shadow due to change. This is how God treats His children who trust in His Son. Amen? So hear this. Christ does pronounce judgment on religious hypocrisy. But oh, does He promise blessing to those who trust in Him who come to Him in faith. Isn't that an amazing thing to think about? So as I wrap this up, let me just ask. Do you live in the assurance and expectation of God's blessing? On what basis? Why? What's the basis of your answer? Well, today we see that basis. That basis is Christ. Received by faith. That's the basis of God's blessing. Amen? So what do you do with that? Turn away from yourself. Turn to Him. 
in an ultimate sense for eternal life, but in every sense, every aspect of your life. Turn to Him. Turn away from yourself. Trust in Jesus. And God will do a work in you. God will do a work through you. And God will hear and answer your prayers. Amen? So let's trust in Him. Amen? Let's pray. Father, we come to you seeking your blessing. We praise you that you have blessed us in Christ Jesus, our Savior and Lord. Every good and perfect gift comes down from you. There's no gift like Christ. We praise you for him. I pray that if there's anybody here today that did not know him, would know him now would turn to Him and trust in Him. I pray that each and every one of us here would heed this warning and that we would cry out to You in faith and ask that You would fill us with Your Spirit. There would be real, vital work in us and through us bearing the fruit that Your glory deserves. Bear fruit in our lives, we ask God. And we pray that you would give us your blessing, that you would do a work in us, and that you would do a work through us, and that you would know each and every need and desire of our heart, and that you would answer these prayers according to your goodness, your mercy, and your perfect sovereign will. We ask this in Jesus' name. Everyone said, Amen. This time we have the opportunity again, as we do each week, to come to the Lord's table together, celebrate what He's done for us. We talk about the basis of our uh, assurance, and this is what we come and celebrate and remember together today. Remember, we, as we come to the Lord's table, are not doing anything for Him, right? He's doing something for us. He's providing His nourishment, His presence, and His blessing to us, and so we come even now uh, in faith, come in faith, trusting in his promises, trusting in his work, resting in him, and of course, as we should always remember, anticipating a final day when he will return and we will feast with him in his kingdom. That's what we do here. It's a time where we come hungry, and yet we come in hope, nourished, and yet anchored in the reality of his return. I want to read for you Galatians 3, 13 and 14, a reminder, I think, of the basis, again, of this blessing we have. It says, Christ redeemed us from the curse of the law by becoming a curse for us. For it is written, cursed is everyone who is hanged on a tree. So that in Christ Jesus, the blessing of Abraham might come to the Gentiles, so that we might receive the promised Spirit through faith. This is indeed a meal that reminds us of the curse that Christ took upon Himself in our place. And it's a reminder of the blessing that we now have in Him by faith. 
And so we come to this table as a people who know Jesus, who trust Jesus, who have been baptized into His church and united with Him in His death and resurrection in baptism. It's uh, reserved for those who have done such. Now, if you're here today and you have not trusted in Christ, you've not turned to Him in repentance, nor have you been baptized into His church, we simply ask that you would abstain from this meal so that we can be faithful to the Scriptures. But understand this, please, we would love to have a conversation with you about what it means to know and trust in Jesus Christ. Uh, so please see us after the service or any time uh, for that matter. We would love to have that conversation with you. At this point, I want to call the servers to come forward. Just by way of reminder, we're going to have two stations, one on each side. So please come down the center aisle and then return to your seats on the side aisle. And uh, we have uh, gluten-free bread and also juice uh, as, uh, as symbols and the elements. So let me pray, and then I'll invite you folks to come forward. Father, thank you so much for Jesus our Savior, our Lord, we thank you for his shed blood uh, on the cross that was effective in bringing about the cleansing that we needed from our sins. We thank you that we have the assurance that we're forgiven of our sins because simply we've trusted in the finished and perfect work of Jesus. This is something you have done, done in us and for us. We praise you for him. We ask that even now that we would approach together in faith, we would come remembering and resting in Christ and give us joy and the assurance of our salvation. We thank you, God, for your provision. It is all sufficient and it has brought about the desired, the work that you desire to do in us. We praise you in Jesus' name. Amen. Please stand and come forward and receive.
Hear Paul's words from 1 Corinthians. He says, verse 23, he says, For I received from the Lord what I also delivered to you, that the Lord Jesus, on the night when he was betrayed, took bread. When he had given thanks, he broke it and said, This is my body, which is for you. Do this in remembrance of me. same way also he took the cup after supper saying this this cup is the new covenant in my blood do this as often as you drink it in remembrance of me for as often as you eat this bread and drink this cup you proclaim the Lord's death until he comes. Amen? Amen. Let's pray together. Again, Lord, we praise you for your provision. Pray your spirit would even now be at work in us, reassuring us, reminding us, giving us joy in the very salvation you have given us, the very blessing that you have poured out abundantly into our hearts and lives. All praise and glory to you and all God's people said, amen. Guys, let's stand and sing.
that, it is finished. You can have a seat for just a few moments. So, last Sunday, April 24th, was Church Plant Sunday at Covenant Church. Uh, We had to move it to this week here, May 1st. But I don't know if you remember, last year we did this in conjunction with Acts 29 churches all across the globe. Right? This is kind of a new thing that Acts 29 has been doing over the last couple of years, is taking a Sunday a year to really emphasize church planting in the world. And I don't know if you know about this, but we are an Acts 29 church, a global network of churches that plant churches. It's been something that's been dear to our hearts since day one, and been very much a part of supporting the work that we do here. And it's exciting to know that throughout the globe, there are churches just like us that, that, that share our convictions our heartbeat, and also our mission from here all the way to New Zealand. Uh, That's an exciting thing to think about uh, as a a church planting family. And so basically what we did last year is we kicked it off with a significant fundraiser. And you know that fundraiser uh, led to uh, the planting and funding of Covenant Church, our very own church plant, which was an amazing provision to see uh, take place. And so we're doing that again this year. Uh, we are kicking off a fundraiser uh, of $25,000 by the end of the year with uh, Covenant Church. So two churches working together uh, to, to give to uh, church planting. I'm going to share a, a little bit more about that in just a minute. But I wanted to, you to see this video that kind of articulates the heart uh, behind what is taking place here today. So watch this video.